0: Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens.
1: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. This is your host, Rick Stevens, and folks, remember that this is your show. If there are questions that you would like to have answered, if there is a particular topic you would like to hear a little bit more about on a future episode of Money Matters, feel free to give me a call at 719-500-8700. You can also send me an email, stevens at frsfinancialgroup.com or Simply go to our website, frsfinancialgroup.com, click on that contact tab up in that top right corner, send us that question, send us that topic. We would love to hear from you. Folks, this week on Money Matters, I am joined in studio by the ever-pleasant Andrew Rogers. Even after a rough Detroit weekend, uh, you're looking all right for... uh, for a Wednesday here today. Yeah, all,
0: all things considered, you know, it took a couple days but the sun came up. Everything will be all right. But uh got the ever optimistic Rick here to uh help lift the spirits and keep uh, me you, going.
1: You, you know as a as a Cub fan, Andrew, you've got to be optimistic. Yeah. Because 106 years between championships is a long time to wait and to really let all the
0: pessimism yeah. sit sit in well, over I mean, that course of time. Ted lasso was right. it is it is indeed the hope that kills you. I yes. learned that firsthand over the weekend. Yes, yes
1: it is and uh as as uh, my uncle uh, was fond of saying prior to a World Series title anybody can have a bad century. yeah so there there's that out there. Well folks we are talking this week on money matters about that thing that happens actually before guys end up on the Detroit Lions, Andrew, and that's college. Okay. We're we're talking about that and we're talking about it not only, you know, from that athletic kind of perspective, but but the idea that Andrew, there are a lot of folks that go to college Mm -hmm. every year. And uh on on top of that, there are a lot of different I guess shall we call them options for deciding where you're going, how you're gonna get there. You know how much are you willing to pay, and and how are we going to pay, and all of that sort of fun stuff. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna wade through all of that.
0: All right, we, we're buckling up. We're ready to go.
1: We are, we are. Now, now I am going to ask this question though. Okay. So I know you've got two.
0: Okay.
1: Are you hoping either of them go to college, Andrew? Probably. Anticipating the perhaps at yeah. least maybe a little bit even even for both of them yeah I mean kind of both of them would be nice I mean, I mean you look at the, what the average college college graduate earns over a career yeah versus what a non does and if you're going to go live with him in your retirement years you need them making more
0: money yeah well I mean you know we are at least getting that practice because uh, taking a look at some of these notes and some of the uh, statistics you already pulled out paying for daycare here in uh, Colorado <laughs> Springs. Could have gotten one of them a bachelor's uh-huh. this year. Yes, through some of the things we'll talk about later.
1: Yes, yes, indeed. So, folks, we're going to talk about all kinds of different things uh, related to that college world. And We're actually going to open up with what it what it actually costs to go through in the U.S. Okay, per year, get a degree. Okay. So, Andrew, I hope not only you but the listeners are sitting down for this first one. Yeah, because the average cost of college in the U.S. Okay. per student per year, and this includes their books, uh, the fees, the the tuition, and their daily living expenses. The average student spends over thirty six thousand dollars a year. Wow! I didn't spend. I know. I know. I'm a dinosaur, but I didn't spend thirty six thousand on my total college education that includes undergrad and graduate work
0: well i mean but then again that was back in the days before you know color tv and you'd had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to class bare feet in fact
1: bare feet in the snow both both ways and and in fact the uh uh, the closest thing we had to an ipad was that thing you've actually got to put over the The eye if somebody gets poked in it
0: now are you sure though this is college because again Starting to look through the tax stuff. Starting to get everything. <laughs> it looks a lot like the average cost of daycare yes. for some people.
1: Yeah, you know, I I uh, actually was was listening a couple weeks ago to uh, to an excerpt from from a Dave Ramsey show where somebody had called in and and said they were having trouble making ends meet uh, between him and his wife. They they made over three hundred thousand dollars a year, but they were spending thirty thousand dollars per kid on daycare. Yeah, and and. Dave, Dave had one of those looks on his face like like somebody just slapped him in the face with, with, a, with a shaving cream pie. Like, I cannot believe I just heard what, what was said about that. So, yeah. yeah, there are some pretty big costs mm-hmm. out there, even outside that college world. But we're talking college today. Um, here's, the, here's the crazy part with this. We, we are told over and over and over again that in-state is better than out-of-state. Right? And public better than private. Well, the average in state student okay. attending a public four year institution, so think UCCS, CU in Boulder, uh, even Adams State, UNC, CSU, the average in state student okay. attending a public four year institution spends $26,000 for one academic year. Wow. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That 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 that's up there. Yeah, way up there. Uh, in fact, the the average cost of just in-state tuition. So the twenty-six thousand is is all in. Just the tuition is almost ninety-seven hundred dollars. But the out-of-state is over twenty-seven thousand. So we're 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 talking on two two separate pieces here, in versus out. So when we start to think about, you know, can I afford it? That's obviously one of those things that that we need to look at in there. And then there was there was some um, we'll we'll call it some research done, okay, on what does it truly cost to get a bachelor's degree? So so not only the cost of the tuition and, and all these different pieces that go with being at the school. But also, they put in there the loss of income, because if you are going to school full-time, you're probably not necessarily working 40 hours. You might be working 15 or 20, and, and some folks even up to 25, but probably not the full 40. So the loss of income associated with it, as well as the interest that they are likely to pay on student loans, the ultimate cost of that bachelor's degree, Andrew, over half a million dollars. Really? Between lost income and the bulk of this is actually going to be in the uh, the interest on those student loans that most folks will take out. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later on here as well, because clearly we don't want to spend that money on the student loan world and especially yeah. the interest uh, associated with that. And one of the things uh, that I used to have to talk about often with students now I'll talk about with their parents uh, quite often. There are a lot of folks out there, Andrew, who um, I, I will say hold a very high opinion of their own student athlete. Okay, my kid's going to get a scholarship to college, and that's going to pay for all or part or whatever in there. There's some numbers associated with that. The the numbers compared to these number of people play in high school versus the odds of being on a college roster, and and understanding that even if you make the college roster. You may not have an actual scholarship. You mm-hmm. might just be playing at, uh, at different levels. So from the from the male side, and we've got these broken down male versus female, the high school baseball player, okay, one in eight will play at the next level. So okay. that's about 12%. And basically that means out of your starting lineup, one of you guys will probably play at the next level. Doesn't mean you get a scholarship, but one will actually play. Basketball, it's crazier. It's one out of 17. So, typically, you're looking at a basketball team. You've got about a 10-man roster-ish. So, in any basketball game, both teams that are out there, you're going to get one of those kids from both teams that makes it to play at the next level. Football, one out of 11. Okay. Probably one guy on offense, one guy on defense. Look at it like that. Soccer, one out of 12. So, one kid on the entire soccer team. Yeah. Perhaps making it tennis one out of 25. So, one in
0: the entire meet, one in the tournament.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Very few folks are are doing it. That's from the guy's side. From the girl's side, the numbers, quite frankly, aren't really any better. Right? One in 10 softball players will play at the next level, one in 14 basketball. 1 in 16 volleyball players, 1 in 10 soccer players, and 1 in 28 tennis players. Mm-hmm. So, grand scheme of things, those that go from high school to college, and that's at any level, whether that's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, junior college, mm-hmm. very difficult to get there. Some of these places don't even have the opportunity to offer scholarships. The idea of making it at the Division I level, these are, these are crazy. One in 43 baseball players will make it to the Division I level. So if you have four teams in the Final Four in the state, one kid is mm-hmm. likely to play Division I. Basketball is one in 110. You're talking multiple conferences worth of kids. One of those kids might play at a D1 yeah. school. In football, 1 in 33. Basically, one kid on your entire roster. Yeah. Getting there. Soccer, it's 1 in 108. We're talking like one kid in southern Colorado yeah. style pieces here. And tennis, 1 in 155. That's like one in Colorado for the for the most part there. Wow. Not very many. And on the on the guys side, again on the ladies side, it's not any better. 1 in 51 for softball, 1 in 81 for basketball, 1 in 83 for volleyball. One in forty-one for soccer. One in one hundred eighty-two for tennis. What does all that mean? Don't count on athletics to pay for your child's
0: education. Well, and even when it comes to high school athletics, and I'm going to lean on you because I think you've got a little firsthand experience. It's not just you get in, you sign that deal, you put on the jersey, and it's everything's gravy after that.
1: Right, right. It's uh, it's not always the uh, hey here it is, we, we sign on National Signing Day, and ooh, that's over, that was easy. No, there's a lot of hard work, and, and not only in my world, who was a college athlete, having ch- a child who's a college athlete, that's the beginning of all the hard work. Yeah. That, that is the beginning of, of it all, and, and scholarships don't include everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for me, I was a college baseball player. We did not get full scholarships. We got partials. Technically, there were full scholarships. I believe for our team of 25, we had 10 full scholarships. Those all got divvied out. Some got halves. Some got quarters. Some got books. Some got room. Mm -hmm. Nobody got a full scholarship out of there. So there's some NCAA rules that go along with all of those pieces as well. So even if you've got a scholarship, it's probably not full.
0: Very likely, it's a partial in some way, shape, or form. And it's not guaranteed to last the entire duration of when you should be in college. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of those
1: are a a uh, an annually, uh, you get to re-up it every year. And mm-hmm. we see this in, in college football all the time. Sometimes players get told, you know what? Your best bet is to go hit the portal.
0: Yeah. See if somebody else out there will take you because... Mm-hmm. I don't have a scholarship for you next year. Yeah, or worst case, you're doing great, but again, it's the, you know, athletic side, one injury, and it could all be gone. Yes. Your school, future school.
1: Yep. Wherever. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you tear up a shoulder, an elbow, a knee. Mm -hmm. Very likely, you don't have that opportunity out there anymore, and that whole cost of college, if you are going beyond where you're at right now, is going to fall totally into your lap we also need to look at the enrollments as well so college enrollment in 2021 this is the last number they've got okay 15.4 million students across the country and that was actually a 21 percent decline from the previous year really we went from basically 20 million down to about 15, so just under 20 to just over 15 within a year.
0: Well, and I I think that little limited skirmish, the, the two yes. weeks to flatten the curve around 20, probably made these decisions. That'd be the yes, call it the high school seniors, right? Then. Right. Already coming into an unsure <laughs> nature, yes, not knowing what's going to happen next. So yep. I think you know those numbers may have a little bit of a skew with
1: them. Exactly, and 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 even into twenty twenty two, we hadn't really made that leap back up. By twenty twenty two, we're still just over sixteen million. So we're mm-hmm. definitely not close to that twenty twenty number by by any stretch. Coming through here, um, in fact, we've seen a decline in college enrollment. Actually, for about the last decade, yeah, 2010 was our high point with about 21 million students enrolled. Uh, Eleven and a half of those million uh, that we see today are enrolled full time. Those are the ones usually taking 12 plus credit hours in yeah. any semester. What that means is there's about four to five million that are enrolled on a part time basis, less than 12 hours. Per uh, per semester, and about twenty percent of students graduate every year. Okay. Now, theoretically speaking, that would mean that it's a five-year plan, right? If we're rolling over twenty percent year over year, it's going to take five years to get through everybody. And the reality is, I know this might come as a shock, Andrew. Not everybody graduates from college. Yeah. There's some folks that I've talked to that went one year, two years three years, and for whatever reason got to that, you know, we're getting close, but either I don't have the the desire to do it anymore, I don't have the funds to do it anymore. And the crazy part about that is if you took out student loans in, say, those first two years, and at the end of year two you quit, you still owe those student loans. Yeah. Right? That's not a, hey, this is only if you graduate. No, you, you borrowed the money. You've got to pay that back. Um, so that's one of those Big, big, big things. that I say big enough in there? Yeah. That that folks have to think about, both from the student and from the parent side of that. Mm-hmm. Because we know this is not just on our kids. As adults, it is part of our job to help them make good decisions along the way.
0: Yeah, and especially as, you know, this next generation is coming into that parenthood and helping make those decisions, kind of the the end stage. Gen Xers, those early millennials kind of having those conversations because that was the generation that was drilled in. Yes. High school, college, go to college, go to college. You want to get a good job, get a degree, go to college, go to college, go to college. But now there's this new uptick as well. And maybe some of these declining numbers could maybe account to this for a little bit. That maybe college isn't the best return on investment, and maybe some of you people are realizing that there are these other options out there that could be more beneficial without the giant loan burden moving ahead. Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that uh, back
1: when I was teaching that the the folks in some of the counseling departments at the schools I was at, I, I had discussions with them more than once because I was I was the guy who said so how much are you planning to make with that degree in fill in the blank mm-hmm. right and oftentimes I would get that holy and crazily number that comes out that you just look at and say where did you pick that number from yeah. to to say no let's let's talk reality here mm-hmm. and um you're you're looking for a degree in library science but you don't want to be a librarian what are you going to do to make money with that yeah and oftentimes the answer i got was uh and that was it mm-hmm. so that practical application of what we've got there it, it, it's also one of those things where and and we see it more and more these days where that career and technical side of things are getting getting out there to say you know what you don't have to go to college but we need electricians yeah we need plumbers we need mechanics you don't have to go get this giant engineering degree you can actually go through this program over here mm-hmm. spend maybe a year or two years going through the certification process you love cars you love to work on cars Well, go through this and get paid to do it
0: yeah or even if you're going to maybe a you know more technical school you could still get that certification, get those job skills, and maybe take out twenty thousand dollars total for a program if you are going down that student loan rate instead of doing that for a year or doing that for a semester. Exactly, exactly. So,
1: so there, there comes a point, and we'll talk about this uh, in the in the in the second half of the show. But there comes a point where you have to look at it and say, "What? What really is the practical application of what I want to do?" Mm-hmm. Um, I, I cannot tell you how many students, and, and I'm going to guess it was probably two hands worth, who told me they were going to college to study art, and I said, "Why?" Well, because I want to be an artist. I said, "You don't go to college to be an artist," because I'm pretty sure Michelangelo didn't go to college, nor did Da Vinci go to mm-hmm. college. Um, if you want to be a great artist, go make art. Yeah. That, that's how you do that. that that's the, uh, the Malcolm Gladwell Outliers book premise, right? It takes 10,000 hours of doing something to become great at it. Mm-hmm. Go spend 10,000 hours creating art. Yeah. That will make you better. The, just because you can study color theory, I, I can do that online. I, I don't have to go pay 5000 bucks to study color theory. It's easily available out there. So we got all kinds of different pieces, right, associated with this sort of thing. We also look at where is it that folks are enrolling, mm-hmm. right? High school graduates, about 18 and a half percent enroll in a two year, right? It depends on if you call it a junior college. Community college. Uh, these days, I think we call it state college. Um, or at least that's the one, you know, on the north end of town. That's the, the well, technically it's a state college because it now offers some four year degrees. Well, and
0: on the south side of town. And I think uh, they true. got a campus in downtown. I mean, uh, that's
1: true. That's true. I mean, don't disparage I, the fighting aardvarks. I just. I, the one on the north end is the one I drive past. Okay. That's, that's the
0: one that comes to mind. Right, so my a little end. regional bias, I guess. It, it, a little bit. There, there's. We're, I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the <laughs> college decisions as well. Uh,
1: yes, yes, we will. Uh, about forty three percent enroll in four year programs, mm-hmm. but if you add those numbers together, that's not a hundred percent of the college or the high school graduates. Yeah, which means there's a good number that either a aren't going to college or b are going to some sort of a vocational or technical post-secondary type school to get those certifications
0: yeah that's a big piece or taking an, another route that might give you a job and pay for your college later
1: yes yes no, there, may
0: like our number one employer here in El Paso County old Uncle Sam there,
1: there, there may be a military component to that yeah. uh, in there as well although again those numbers are down mm-hmm. right fewer and fewer folks that are coming out of high school and and signing on for that life but again what are those, those other options that are out there and available? Now we start to think about how am I going to pay for this? Yeah. Right? We might know we want to go somewhere, don't know where, but you want to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. How am I going to pay for it? Well, almost 84% of those first time, first year, and that's a key component there because you might be a first time undergrad student technically but it may not actually be your first year because okay. we know that there are different places uh, really throughout El Paso County where you can go do things that uh, they're called dual enrollment. Mm-hmm. So you're taking college courses, getting both college and high school credit for. So you might be a first time undergrad student, but you're not technically a first year undergrad mm-hmm. student. You you oftentimes can walk in at year two and and sometimes you walk into college as a junior um, with, with what you've taken care of there. But 84% of those first time, first year undergrad students get some kind of financial aid. Yeah. Which means four out of five don't have to foot the entire bill yeah. in there. Now, the average student, and this again can, can, consists of the ones who do and the ones who don't borrow, but the average student borrows about $12,000 a year, $11,836. Mm -hmm. Round number world, 12000 So that's the average student, not the average borrower. The average borrower is actually higher than that. Public university students borrow a little over $30,000 to get their bachelor's degree. Wow. That's that's not uh, what I typically would refer to as cost effective. No. As we're looking at that sort of thing. And annually, the rate at which we borrow goes up about 2%. Right? So what that basically means is if you took a look at 2020, by 2030, we're basically doubling how much mm-hmm. people are going to borrow uh, to, to go through school in there. There's also this part. You may or may not have heard of what are called parent plus loans. Yep. That is where the parent takes on the loan for the student's education. And parent borrowing on behalf of their children is about twelve five. So my kid goes into $30,000 debt for the bachelor's degree. I take on another 12000 for that. That's $42,000 in debt for a degree that may or may not get used. And we know one of those two parties is not using that degree. Yeah. So some crazy, crazy stuff through there. Now... We talk about that, that financial aid that flows in, all kinds of different things. You you get financial aid from the state. You get financial aid uh, opportunities from the federal government. We actually see this spending going up at an annual level. So, so clearly the governments, both at the state and the federal level, are pushing, hey, we're going to throw more money at this because mm-hmm. we want more people in those institutions. Uh, most common type of financial aid. I wish they wouldn't put student loans in there because I don't know I really want to call that aid. Yeah. you got to pay it back. But but student loans and grants are the most commonly used type. State agencies are going to have different kinds of programs that are going to offer particular types of financial aid. So if, if you've got someone who uh, spent time in foster care, if they're going to a state school, they actually might get a full tuition waiver mm-hmm. to do stuff like that. Uh, Military families often can get a very low interest or even a no interest educational loan. We know, we've heard it time and time again, that the next uh, quote-unquote bubble to burst is looking like it's the student loan bubble that is out there because that surpassed a a couple of years ago consumer debt, credit card debt, as the largest debt Mm -hmm. that that is owed by the U.S. consumer.
0: Wait a minute, they're not just going to... Sign away and just
1: wipe that all out. Believe it or not, nobody's signing a bill to to just wipe out all of that. You know, one point seven trillion dollars that is owed to oh. to uh, the various lenders. Maybe
0: because uh, the government's in this whole student loan business too, so they have a, they have a, a little finger in the pot.
1: Uh, perhaps actually, they've uh, and and a lot of folks don't realize this that the government has actually been the student loan provider since twenty ten. Yeah. And we're, we'll talk about this uh, in a little bit, but the short version of that is: since the government took over the student loan program, the number of student loan, the amount of student loan debt has more than doubled. Well, um, of course, because that's what the government likes to do is borrow and have you borrow and have you pay on your borrowing oh. because that's how they get money. Is- well, and if you're running a college and if you know that the government will back it,
0: yes, why not just?
1: continue to raise the price because we're getting we're getting some dollars in here yep. in one way shape or form. So as we as we look at all of these different pieces through here, if we're, if we're talking about those grants, uh, the the average federal grant that gets awarded every year is about five mm-hmm. uh, thousand dollars. the federal government themselves are actually likely to award grants to students who attend, here's the crazy part, private for-profit universities okay? They are actually more likely to provide a grant for that than they are for a state school. We can get into all of the theory behind that, but I think we may have touched a little bit on the, uh, on the whole, if the federal government is going to pay the state government-run school, well, why would they want to actually foot the whole bill? We'll make the kid pay it back as well. Yeah. Um Every year, about uh, 6.8 million students get what's called a Pell Grant. Uh, the federal Pell Grants, that will vary anywhere from about 640 bucks to about $6,400. Uh, average award. again, on the Pell Grant is about $3,900. Uh, there are also what are called formula grants. They come from the U.S. Department of Education. Students in uh, military service, if uh, their, their families perhaps served in any of the Iraq or Afghanistan uh, time frame, There may be some grants that are associated with that. So all kinds of different pieces uh, through here that are available for folks. That's going to run us right to the break here, Andrew. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to finish up some of the student loan debt pieces. Then we're going to get into practical stuff, Andrew. I want to talk about how much do particular majors make, what does tuition look like, and how in the world do we pay for it? Oh.
0: Maybe we'll break it down. Maybe do some
1: ROI. Yes, just a little bit. So everybody stick around. We will be right back. Are you worried about what's been going on in the markets and how it has affected your portfolio? Maybe you need a financial checkup. If you have questions about the health of your financial future, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary checkup. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at nine and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Folks, thanks for sticking with us through that break right here on Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group. This week, we are talking about college and how to get there and how to pay for it and some of the things that are kind of associated with it these days and and Andrew coming into the break we were talking a little bit about loans okay and student loans and and the debt by April 2023 because April is where we get all of these different numbers Mm -hmm. because there's a particular thing that we file in April most years
0: yeah that we'll
1: have this data available so from April 2023 we see that as a whole People across the country have about 1.7 trillion dollars of student loan debt, and since the government took over in 2010 through the Healthcare and Education Reconciliation Act, um, we've seen that balloon from 800 billion to 1.7 trillion. Yeah, in that time frame. Now, some different pieces along here. There are two different types of loans for the student themselves. Mm -hmm. okay. There's what's called subsidized and unsubsidized. A subsidized loan means your loan is growing in interest, but the government is paying that interest every year. Yeah. Unsubsidized means nobody's paying that interest, and that loan amount is continuing to grow. Yeah. And once you graduate, it all becomes due. Mm -hmm. Now, you can set up that payment plan and all those different pieces through there. But the reality of it is, subsidized versus unsubsidized, either the amount that you owe in interest grows or it doesn't. That's that's the best I can kind of break that thing down. When it comes to the interest rates on those loans, right now the unsubsidized loan is coming in at just over 7%. So a 7% on your student loan. For the Parent PLUS loan... You're actually paying 8%. I guess because they figure, hey, you're the parent, you're making more money, you can afford a higher interest rate. <sighs> but I digress. Yeah. Here's the big thing, guys. When you are thinking about college majors, and this is a discussion I've had with my kids, mm-hmm. right? They know that mom and dad have money available for college. We're not paying for all of it. And that'll be part of the discussion as well, is you need to have that how much are we willing to pay, any, all, or or some, Mm -hmm. that mom and dad have some dollars available. However, dad's dollars don't pay for every type of degree that are out there. Yeah, because dad's a little bit of that practical application guy, right? I want you to be able to go out, get your education, get your degree, and have a paying job Mm -hmm. when you get that degree. So some of those majors... Uh, the projection for 2024 graduates. Engineering majors, not a surprise. They're at the top of the list, but their projected salary is less than $70,000. It's only $69,000. Now, the, if you ask college students what they anticipate making after graduation, mm-hmm. the average is over hundred. Yeah, We have a lot of unrealistic expectations out there, Andrew, believe mm-hmm. it or not unrealistic expectations. Wait,
0: or are we just selling them an unrealistic line of goods to get them to sign on the dotted line?
1: Could be a little bit of both. So engineers, Mm -hmm. right out of school, the average, again, average, some could be more, some are less, average is about 70. We come down a little further on that list. Business degrees are about $57,000. Here's one a lot of people wouldn't think about, Andrew. Agriculture degrees are about $55,000 coming right out of college. Hmm. We, we move these down a little bit. Graphic designers, about 46000 You get into the I'm trying to help people side of things. Counseling, right under $40,000. <sighs> Education, $37,000. And the one that I had probably more discussions than I really should have had, but still had it, the visual or performing arts. Mm-hmm. Folks coming out with those degrees, Just over $31,000 a year. Wow. And those typically aren't degrees, Andrew, that you're getting at the state university. No. Those are typically private school degrees. Yeah. And that's not the $20,000. That's the $70,000 a year
0: degree. Yeah. But those are also the stars in your eyes. And you know what? I'm going to go be a star. Right. My first movie deal. I will wipe that out. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So again, back
0: to Uh reality
1: in here. Um, we know that college is expensive. Yeah. However, we want to be smart about how we attack this. And I'm going to start this way, Andrew. Has anybody ever asked you where you started college? No. Yeah, nobody's ever asked me either. Because nobody cares where you started. Has anyone ever asked you where you finished college? Rarely, if ever, have they asked me where I finished. Mm -hmm. How about you? Do you get that? Where did you finish your school? Yeah. It, and unless you are Ivy League educated and there's some kind of networking you're doing with other, you know, grads from Harvard and Yale yeah. and Colgate. Nobody really cares. What they care about is, do you have a degree? Mm-hmm. And what's it in? Yeah, that's it. Well, and even
0: to a lesser extent, what's mm-hmm. it in? Right. Did you actually see something through and can you do the job you're applying for? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So here's here's what we want to think about. Tuition at Pikes Peak State College. Mm-hmm. If you are running that full, full class schedule and you're going to graduate from whichever degree program they've got on the associate's mm-hmm. degree side, is gonna run you about five thousand dollars a year plus the cost of books. Yeah. Now some of those books it could get you back to, you know, thousand bucks in that year. You've added, you know, up to six thousand in there. But mm-hmm. The reality of it is that's a whole lot cheaper than starting at a four-year. Yeah. Right? You go somewhere local. It's not going to cost you nearly as much to live. You're going to be able to be there, and you're not paying the four-year price. Mm-hmm. We also have, in the western part of the United States, this thing called wooey which is the Western Undergraduate Exchange. Yeah. And the ballpark short synopsis of that is that there are 16 states and territories, because we've got places like Guam that are part of this, that have said we are not going to charge out-of-state tuition to kids coming from these 16 states. Mm -hmm. Some of them might be the same as in-state. Some of them might be a little more, but we're not going to charge the out-of-state price. Yeah. So here's one of those fun things that I, I walk through often with uh, with parents as we're going through that, you know, help my kid make these choices process. UCCS, and, I, and these are just raw tuition data numbers, right? This is not you've got this scholarship and that scholarship and this grant. This is a raw tuition yeah. number. UCCS is about 13.5 for the year. Mm-hmm. University of Wyoming, just up the road, 7,500. So, just a little over half up in Laramie, yeah University of Hawaii in Hilo, Andrew eleven thousand dollars for tuition. It's mm-hmm. cheaper to be at the University of Hawaii in terms of tuition now room and board and all that sort of stuff is going to be different, but the tuition is cheaper than going to UCCs yeah University of Alaska is ten five Cal State Northridge, not a bad school, eight thousand six hundred dollars yeah for tuition montana state seventy two hundred up in billings utah state eleven thousand out there so you could actually go somewhere regional and actually pay less than if you were here locally and that's not that's uccs that's actually the lowest cost of the, the CU cost. schools yeah right that's that's not CU in boulder that's not CU in denver that's here, UCCS. Boulder and Denver are actually even more tuition-wise wow. than that. You can also take a look at those scholarship opportunities, not just through the school, but there's a website called FastWeb. Mm-hmm. And you go in and you give them as much data as you want to give them, and they will match you up with scholarship opportunities that actually matches everything from where you've went, where where you've where you've gone to high school, where you are from, whether you are uh, adopted or a foster child, whether you're left-handed, are there some left-handed scholarships out there? And just because you're left-handed, Really? particular scholarships, there are things for uh, clubs you've been part of, anything extracurricular out there. There are scholarships available for the degree that you're going to pursue. There are scholarships available for kids whose parents work at certain companies. Yeah. All kinds of different pieces of data that you can use to match up and and one of the things that that I oftentimes will tell kids, I said, "Guys, if you if you go out and apply for one scholarship a week during your junior and senior year of high school, that's 60 scholarships you've applied for. There's actually a pretty good likelihood that you get at least 10% of those." Yeah and if you've gotten 6 of the 60 and the average scholarship is $2500 you've just you've just put about $15,000 towards your college education and most of those are renewable every year yeah so opportunities are out there one of the other things that we do um for for you know us as parents with college aid students we have to fill out what's called the fafsa Mm -hmm. that's the federal application for student aid most schools whether you are getting any kind of aid or not want to see that come in because they want to be able to go okay this is what the government has says they will actually allow on this side so we can make sure we get those dollars coming in here's what your final bill ends up being Uh, some of that can be very confusing i'm always happy to sit down with folks Totally complimentary. Sit down, go through, fill out the FAFSA form so we can see okay, how much are we going to get? What is it truly going to cost in the end here? Big pieces on that.
0: Yeah. And another thing, too, as far as choosing those schools as well. And I know I've heard, you know, Dave Ramsey say it here on the station, but there's a lot of other things, too, as far as just not choosing it off of some superficial meaning just because you know they've got a good football team or you see them every weekend over on one of the you know TV stations it's so, not
1: so so what you're telling me is uh even though even though we've got a uh, national title in Michigan hey, wait, uh, whoa, 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 the, whoa. the 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 kids may not be pushed towards big blue at this point well we'll see i
0: got a lot of years ahead of us that's true that's very true but i'm just saying you know sometimes you know if you can get the exact same degree. Does it matter if it is from somewhere in the WUI network or does it have to be on the East Coast or just because it's an SEC school?
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, one of the things that I uh, will oftentimes talk with folks about uh, is I am a big believer in what I call directional schools. Mm -hmm. And that's if you have a college, even on the in-state side, and they have a direction in their name, right? Northern Colorado, Western State; those are places that typically will cost less money than the ones that don't have a direction yeah. in their title. Um, and I say this as a guy who graduated from Eastern Illinois University and North Central College in Naperville. Okay, right? Directional schools can actually provide some pretty cost-effective education. We also need to think about that whole in-state versus out-of-state again. Typically, unless you're talking wooey, in-state is generally more favorable. We also have that idea that you know state schools. Oh, these are these are actually less expensive than private schools, and that's oftentimes the case, but not always yeah. the case. And that's where we want to go do that homework on schools that maybe we would like to go to. Mm-hmm. For example, locally, CC, right, Colorado College. Annual tuition, this comes from collegedata.com, and you can go find any school in the country on College Data to see what their yeah. tuition is. The CC tuition for the year, $67,932. Yeah, that, that tracks. It also tracks not just with, you know, what we would think about. It, it tracks actually nationally because at the University of Southern California,
0: mm-hmm.
1: annual tuition, 64726 Boston College, We go all the way to the East Coast, 7,00 636. Yeah. We go to that uh, Midwest private university in Notre Dame. $693,000. So we're north of 60,000 most of the time. But if you look at a place like Grand Canyon, right? Private school, Division one athletics, 17,450 is their annual tuition. The warm weather of Phoenix doesn't hurt? No, no, not at all. So, again, we, we kind of start with that, oh, it's a private university out there. It's going to cost a whole lot. Depends on the private school yeah. that you're going to.
0: Well, and again, too, unless you're going for a very specific major that you know is going to have that return on in investment, that it needs to you know have that prestige name yes. behind it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe like an engineering school, yeah, you'd probably be better off looking at the Colorado School of Mines versus... UCCS, or even CU Boulder. Right. But those cases are few and far between. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah, while, while there are some schools that, that it does matter uh, on on some aspects, I will tell you the business program, it's, it's all the same economics. Yeah, the economic laws are the same. Marketing is the same. Management is the same. English is the same. Yes. It's going to be the same across the boards, right? So we want to think about those pieces. So how do we go about... Uh, really doing this well. First and foremost, Andrew, you're probably not doing this yet, and that's okay because I know how old your kids are. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do this yet. We have this discussion annually with our children because mine are of that age. We need to talk through these things. So number one, as the parent, you want to devise a plan with the child, not for the child. Because I cannot tell you how many times When I've asked students over the years, well, how did you pick which school you want to go to? Well, my parents said I had to go to, and you fill in the blank. That does not engender success on that kid. That kid didn't get to pick where they wanted to go. They were told what they were going to go do. And when you're talking about 16-, 17-, 18-year-olds, Andrew, you telling them you are going to go to fill in the blank doesn't always get a whole lot of buy-in with that. That's a little parenting tip for you guys there. So devise that plan with the child. And there are four parts of that plan. Number one, we want to talk about who's paying for it. Are the parents paying all of it? Are the parents paying some of it? Or is the student paying all of it? I am a big fan of the student at least pays some Mm -hmm. because they've got buy-in. They've got skin in the game on this. Yeah we're leaving some decisions in their hands. Now, I have no problem if the parent says, uh, and I've got a few who do this, you pay for it, and based on your grades, I will actually reimburse you mm-hmm. X amount of dollars. You get C's, you get 70% back. You get B's, you get 80% back. You get A's, you get 90% back. You're still on the hook for at least 10% of yeah. the cost. All right. So I have those folks that do that. You also want to take that time as a parent, to discuss those areas that your kid might want to major in. You want to talk about, you know, what are their aptitudes? What are they good at? What are they not good at? What do they might need help doing over the course of time? And does their personality style work for that? Mm-hmm. You may have a kid who who is, you know, they've got this aptitude for whatever this particular area is. But their personality style doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah. Right. I have I have a 23 year old who has a pretty good mind when it comes to engineering type things, but he is a 1,000% extrovert. Yeah. That is not exactly the right personality style for the engineering field. Doesn't really matter even what part of engineering you're in. Mm-hmm. So having that personality style is it going to work well in there? And again. Parents, I cannot stress this enough because oftentimes it's not happening with the teachers, not happening with the counselors, but talking about those majors that lead to jobs. Yeah. If you take a trip to L.A. or to New York and you go out to eat, there are a lot of people working at those restaurants that were probably performing arts majors. Mm -hmm. That 31,000 that they're making every year is not generally in the performing arts category. That they're making those, right? We're working this other job so that I can do these other things. So let's talk about the practical application of that thing. We also have this, uh, I guess I'll call it this false idea. Okay. Because we label them freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You've got to graduate in four years. The reality is the average graduating individual from college takes between five and five and a half years. Yeah to finish a program. And most of them will switch majors at least once in that time frame. That's one of those things that can lead to that little bit longer time. But a lot of schools will actually allow you up to seven or eight years to finish your undergrad degree. Really? So you don't have to go in on day one and say, I'm a full-time student. You can go through and say, hey, this is my budget. I can take three classes this semester without having to get a student loan. Great. Take three classes. You know what? going to go out there. And one of the reasons I can do that is because I'm also working Mm part-time while I'm in college. I will say this. If you have a kid who's an athlete, they're already working full-time because they're an athlete. Yeah, They're not just in school, during school. There are the 6 a.m. workouts, the afternoon workouts, the evening workouts, um, I, sometimes I tell folks and I'm sure it still works well, maybe not so much now because my, my coach finally did retire last year, but I'm pretty sure that he ran the same schedule in his 25th year that he ran in his first year with us, yeah. which was 6 AM running, weightlifting. You're either in the two o'clock or the three o'clock hitting group, depending on what time your last class of the day finished. Then we practiced from four to 6 30. Every night. Mm -hmm. And the only reason we went 4 to 6.30 is because the dining hall closed at 7. Yep. And he wasn't going to let us not eat dinner. Then it was time for any homework uh, that we were supposed to be doing, although oftentimes I will say this, we were playing cards and watching movies, enjoying life as college athletes. There are also times where I was the designated, hey, come help me with this because I don't understand calculus guy. But that happens, right? If it's an athlete working during college, not typically going to happen in the the school year. Mm-hmm. Summer job, absolutely. However, there are numbers out there that show working 10 to 15 hours while you're in school actually helps you do better in school. Yeah, You are more focused when you're taking those classes. Then we come up to that last point of all of this, how in the world are we going to pay for it? Lots of different options out there. Virtually every state offers what's called a 529 plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's Section 529 of the IRS tax code, but that's a state-sponsored college savings plan. All kinds of rules around those. One rule that doesn't exist, how much you can put in on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. There's no maximum to that other than the total that you can put in over the lifetime of of what that 529 can have as value which uh, is north of $350,000 these days. So it's a pretty big number in there. Uh, There are also UTMA accounts or UGMA, so UTMAs or UGMAs. Again, that's another way to pay for it. Different rules, again, apply to that, than apply to the 529s. Mm -hmm. Uh, ESAs, they're education savings accounts. What they can and can't be used for differs a little bit from 529s. They also have a $2,000 per year maximum Mm -hmm. as to what can go in. And there are all kinds of other options out there in in trying to figure out how am I putting money away. And folks that have questions, they're they're always welcome to ask. But here's here's that basic back-of-the-envelope math, Andrew. Okay. We're not talking to newborns here. We're talking to kids that are maybe six, seven years old. And you're starting to think, you know what? My kid might one day want to go to school, and I'd like to help out. Well, if you put away $100 a month into any of these kind of accounts, because these are all yeah. actually just wrappers, right? We we fill that up with whatever the investments are. We're doing $100 a month for 10 years, and we have investments that are averaging a 10% growth rate. At the end of that 10 years, we've got $20,000 yeah. available. And if we start a little earlier, if we got 15 years, at the end of 15, we're closer to $40,000
0: available. Well, and that's where it comes in with those, you know, kind of in my situation with the youngers, with the real small ones. Looking at that math, and I know it's easy because I get caught up on this. I don't want to say on a daily, maybe on a bi-daily basis. <laughs> as far as that thought of, if I didn't have to pay for daycare, if yes. I didn't have that reality, what could I do? Right. You can use part of that money. You're already living without. Yes. And dedicate that on that monthly, bi-weekly, weekly basis, even a fraction of that major cost you're paying in daycare. Put it into those 529s, and you're going to set your kid up pretty well and still have a little bit of extra walking cash for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All kinds of different things that you know, as we sit down and look at this goal that we've got, you know, my goal is I would like my kids to go to, to college. I might not push them, but I would like them to, and I'd like to be able to help when they get there. We just sit down, and we talk it through, we make that plan. What does it take to get to this finish line over here that I'm looking for? Because ultimately my goal, because this is what I did, is to get out of college and be debt-free. Yeah. I had student loans my freshman and sophomore year because my scholarship didn't cover everything and I didn't have all the cash to pay for it.
0: And you didn't have NIL back then.
1: And I didn't have NIL back then. Not that anybody was looking for my my likeness to be used. But when I was finishing my degree, I was putting everything away that I could so that within six months of graduation, I could pay off my entire student loan and not owe any debt. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I, I know this, this may have uh, been said a time or two, not only on this show, but even on the KRDO airwaves, that, uh, you know, that, that debt, that's, that's kind of a burden. Yeah. And it's kind of a burden that not a lot of fun until you figure out, wow, I don't have that anymore. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was sitting on my shoulders quite like that. So the idea of being able to help our kids come out of school as debt-free as possible, being able to, you know, quite frankly, even pay off some of our own financial debt Mm -hmm. from school that i know folks in their 40s and 50s still pay on on a monthly basis lots of ways to do that folks if you've got questions about that sort of thing feel free to give me a call happy to sit down and go over what the best plan of action for uh, you individually will be 719-500 8700 totally complimentary to sit down help you kind of think some of these different things through, whether for you, for your kids, whatever the case may be. Folks, that is all the time that we have this week on Money Matters. We, well, we're going to be back again next week. We're going to continue talking about your money because your money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.